Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 9, the Gospel of John. We're working our way through this uh, Gospel, the fourth Gospel, looking at different encounters that Jesus has with individuals. And uh, we're coming to that place where uh, the, the opposition is building as the story unfolds, as Jesus prepares uh, to enter into his, his last week and going to the cross and Every single encounter that Jesus has with someone intensifies that opposition. So we're going to look today at Jesus and the man born blind and look at the contrast between the, the darkness of the religious leaders and the light that Jesus brings. You'll follow along in verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Possibly Jesus forecasting uh, the crucifixion and when he would be leaving them. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after he said these things, he spit on the ground made some mud from saliva, spread the mud on the eyes, on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. We're going to look at five uh, truths from this story today and then make some points of application to help us as we just walk through this passage of Scripture as John describes this incredible event. We've used this passage often to teach about the fact that when the question is asked, was this man born blind or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. This is so that the works of God might be manifest. We use that, have used this repeatedly to show that some things just happen and there really is not an answer for that. And we just have to trust God that he's gonna use whatever it is for his glory. But today I wanna focus on the, the reality of this spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and then how Jesus brings light. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first truth here is Jesus performs a miracle. First thing that happens in this story, Jesus performs a miracle and a blind man receives sight. The Bible says in verse six, he spit on the ground, made some mud from saliva, spread that on his eyes and told him, go and wash. It's interesting, Jesus varied his methods of healing. Sometimes he touched someone and healed them. Sometimes he told them, you go. Sometimes he gave them just the word. Other times he would do this. One time he, he just spit on, on the person, the person's eyes. This time he used the mud. There are different methods and I believe it's so Jesus could help us not focus on the methods but look at the message that he's, that he's proclaiming. As we walk through John, you can see every time there's a miracle, uh, John tells that story to lay the groundwork for some teaching that Jesus was going to give, and he follows this up with teaching that follows this miracle. It's interesting, as you walk through this passage, uh, you see the disciples just beginning uh, to ask these questions. They see this man in the first couple of verses there who's blind, and instead of having compassion, verse 2 they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They look at this man, and instead of seeing someone that is in need, someone who, who needs the, a touch of Jesus, someone needs compassion and mercy, they see this as an opportunity for some theological debate. 
We have to be careful about that. When things happen in the world, when, when we encounter situations, we have to watch out for taking that automatically and not looking at the person or the situation. There are times as a pastor, uh, as uh, we've been raising our kids and the, the kids will fall down or they'll do something wrong and get hurt, and immediately the first thing I think is, well, that's a good sermon illustration there instead of, are my kids okay? You know, you ever, you ever get that way? You're thinking of something else? We have to be careful. That's where the disciples were. Here's a man who's, who's hurting, who's blind, and instead of thinking about how can we help that man, how can we theologically walk through this? So here's your truth that goes to that first point as Jesus performs a miracle. We, followers of Christ, must have eyes to see people in need. We must have eyes to see people in need. Caring for people in need supersedes any theological debates we should have. Think about that. There's so many applications of that in our society today, even in our, our culture right now. What's going on in the border with the, the people coming to our border and the refugees? And people want to debate all the whys and the, the political stuff that goes with that. But re, in reality, there are children there who are hurting. There are families there who are broken. We can argue about that stuff all the time, but there are people in need that we need to minister to. I think the challenge from this passage is be careful that we don't make those people into an object to, to make something for our own case in the thing. In other words, just look at the people and the needs that they have. James Dobson went down to the valley recently and wrote an open letter. You can find it online where he just gave his evaluation of what was going on down there. And it just breaks your heart to see what's going on, and you should have compassion. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't just focus on the religious, theological, even the political debate. Focus on the, the person in need. We have a way of judging and evaluating other people whether or not they need something. If they need something, they need something. If they're in need, if they're hurting, they need grace, they need mercy. Number two, the neighbors respond to the miracle. The neighbors respond to the miracle. Let's, let's look at verse eight now. Just follow through the story here. After this man goes and washes and comes back and he can see, his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No others were saying, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. I just like that. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm, I can see now. Therefore, they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? By the way, all through this passage, I counted five this morning, times where people are asking how, 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 and they should be asking who, right? It's all how. So how, how is it that your eyes were opened? Verse 11, he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went, I washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. Then they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Let's stop right there and look at the neighbor's response here. First truth for this, this section here is people around us will notice when God is at work in our lives. They noticed. This man had been a beggar. He had been blind, been blind from birth. They, they knew that there had been a change in this man's life, and it was obvious. People around us will respond to changes in our lives. How many times have you had someone come up to you and say, man, you've lost weight? Surely somebody's had that happen to them. I've had people come to me and say, are you putting on weight? Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes somebody goes on a crash diet and you can see it right away. Then there's those times where it's not so obvious, like there are times when men will shave their mustache or their beard and wait to see how long it is till their wife notices that. I had one of my best friends did that, and it was, it was a week or so. He finally had to tell her, I shaved my beard. It was a pretty weak beard, but anyway. <laughs> Sometimes those changes are very obvious, and we miss them. But you need to know that our neighbors aren't missing it. 
The people who watch us, when God's at work in our lives, we may blow it off. We may say, that's just another thing that happens because I go to church or whatever. Be be mindful that people watch us and they see what's going on in our life and they're going to take notice of it. They're going to watch it. Celebrate it. Don't just tell people when there is an activity of God in your life, whether it's a a full-fledged, full-blown miracle, whether it's some kind of transformation in your life spiritually, don't just say, well, yeah, thanks so much. That's because I go over there to Coastal Oaks Church or wherever. Say, well, it's because Jesus is at work in my life. Help him connect the dots. We'll talk about that later. So let's look at the next next part of the passage here as we walk through verse 14 through 16. Actually, it goes on beyond 16. The Pharisees investigate the miracle. Isn't this great? There's a miracle. The people recognize the miracle. In come the Pharisees. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're just trying to find a way to trap Jesus. They're trying to find a way to trip him up. That's what they did in the last passage we looked at. That's what they're going to do right here. The Pharisees investigate. Let's just look at a couple of verses, 14 through 16. So the, the, the neighbors bring the man to the Pharisees. Now, some have said the neighbors are wanting to call him out. The neighbors are wanting to trap Jesus. I think probably they were just saying, let's go to the religious people and show them the miracles happen. Let's show the folks who believe in miracles. Huh? Let's show the religious folks. So they take him to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Remember that last time? That's the dun-dun-dun in the story. It's the Sabbath. That's the heads up here. So the, again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his side. There's the how again. Uh, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He's not even thinking about what just happened, are they? This man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, "Um, how can this sinful man perform such signs? There's a how again. And there was a division among them. A division among them. It's interesting, in verse 16, the Pharisees have really already made up their mind, haven't they? They've said, this man is not from God. Let's check him out. Let's talk to people. Let's ask questions. But this man is not from God. They've already decided before they even investigate that Jesus is not from God. Sounds like the evolutionists of our day, the scientists of our day, who they won't even listen to the facts because they've already decided there is not a creator. They're blackballing people just because they're saying, let's, let's believe that there's a prime force that started all this. We don't have to believe in the God of the Bible right now that some scientists say, let's just believe that there's a force behind this. And those people are getting ostracized and blackballed just for suggesting that. The evolutionists say, don't, don't confuse me with all that. I've already made up my mind. There is no God. This all happened by chance. That's the Pharisees. Don't confuse me with the facts. This man's not from God. He can't be because he healed on the Sabbath. It's interesting, the last part of verse 16 there, there was a division, divisions among them. Um, I'm not sure what these divisions were right here, but there were two groups within the Pharisees. One group believed that you just, you just looked at things, uh, the school of Shammai, that they looked at the, the foundational principles. In other words, if this man healed on the Sabbath, he broke the law, he's a sinner. That's all they looked at. Then there was another group, the, the school of Hillel, and they looked at the facts, and those guys would have been saying, okay, Yes, it was the Sabbath, but he did a good work. Let's talk about that. So you probably got in that one group of Pharisees. He healed on the Sabbath. He sinned. And maybe another group within the Pharisees, well, let's talk about this. Did he not do good? Anyway, so there's a division among them. We know which group went out, don't we? 
the ones that said he's done wrong on the Sabbath. It's interesting as you walk through here, the man's first testimony in verse 15, they ask him and he just says, look, I just, I washed, I went, I washed it. Now I can see. And then in verse 17, Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Here's his response now. Not just that I saw, but he's a prophet, he said. Significant, the man's second response is, I'm beginning to understand that this wasn't just anybody that healed me. This man was a prophet. And when he said this man is a prophet, I'm sure the Pharisees, the, the hair went up on the back of their necks and they're like, oh no, how could you call this man, this sinner, a prophet? And then look at verse 18 with me. The Jews did not believe this about him. Why? Because they'd already made up their mind. That he was blind and received his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. So they get the parents in and they ask them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he see? How? Again, how? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, the parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And if you stopped right there, you'd say, why in the world would the parents say that? Well, John helps us with this. Look at the next verse there. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, that's Jesus, as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They're not willing to face what's happened and to testify of the truth that their son's been healed by a prophet because they're afraid that they might get kicked out of the synagogue. Folks, you talk about bowing into peer pressure. By the way, to get kicked out of the synagogue meant that you were ostracized, your family, the, the, the people that, that did community with you would not look at you nicely. They would, they would see you as an outcast. So they were worried about that. So again, the Pharisees have... have I believe, caused, a, caused them to see things and pressure them so that they're not even willing to admit that Jesus is the prophet, the Messiah. Look at verse 24. So they summoned, the, so a second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind. Now, I, if you were the man born blind, wouldn't you get tired of this by now? Can I not just tell you I was, I was blind and now I see and let's just move on with this thing? They summoned him again. Where did I stop? What verse? Help me. 25? Four. Oh, that's, yeah, I, I should have, yeah. So the second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, I don't believe they're saying, let's all praise God together. I believe what they're saying is, we're putting you under oath, buddy. It's like raise your right hand and put your hand on the Bible. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That's what they're saying to him. Some have said that this is actually a, a formal proceeding, though it was pretty informal, where they're saying, give glory to God. You've got to answer honestly. Give glory to God. And he answered. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I can't give you all the details. I cannot explain to you 
theologically what happened to me, that I was transformed by the grace of God, that I've been placed in Christ, Christ has been placed in me, that I've been regenerated, that the old man has been put to death. I can't explain all this stuff, but I was once blind, now I see. That ought to be all of our testimonies. I mean, I'll be able to give you all the details, but I was once blind, now I see. Look at verse 20, 20, where do I go next? 26, thank you. Oh, we gotta fill something in first. Here's my truth. You don't have to have all the answers in order to share Jesus with somebody. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have many of the answers. If you can just say, I was once blind, now I see. Many of you are new, so you haven't heard this story, so the ones that have heard it, just just pretend like you haven't heard it. But when I was a pretty new Christian, I was challenged in our singles Bible study time that I should be a witness, that I should tell people about Christ. I was a pretty new Christian. I was just barely growing in my faith, and, and there was a guy in our Bible study in, the, in, the, in the, the small group time, and he said, I'm not 100% Christian yet, but I'm working on it. And so I thought in my heart, he needs to know Jesus. And then my buddy who was with me, John, thought the same thing. So we're, we're sitting around talking after the Bible study, and, uh, and I said, did you hear what, what Dave said? And John said, yeah, he, he said he's not 100% Christian, but he's working on it. I know. Somebody had to go talk to him. And, and I said, I know. Somebody had to go talk to him. And John says, yeah, somebody. So we went back and forth for a while. <laughs> So finally, we said, we're going to go talk to him. So we made an appointment with Dave, and we showed up at his house. And both of us were, were new Christians, just barely understanding everything about the Christian faith. We knew enough that we'd been saved, and we need to tell people about Jesus. So I took all of my tracks with me, and John took all of his tracks with him, and John took his Bible because he's more spiritual than I was. And we sat down in Dave's living room, and for probably an hour, I fired at him, and John fired at him, and I showed him this page, and that page, and this Bible verse, and that Bible verse, and we just, man, we, we presented the gospel as best we knew how, and at the end of that presentation, I said, I knew, I knew to ask this much, Dave, what do you think? He said, I think I'm going to be late for work if you don't let me get out of here. <laughs> that is not the answer I was hoping for. That is not what I wanted to happen in that moment. Anyway, we got him to work, and that next week, he opened his heart to Christ and was saved. But here's, here's why I tell that story. We did not know what we were doing. We probably broke every rule in the book in evangelism class. But we were faithful to share what we knew. We even shared some stuff we didn't know. Now, let's go to verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do for you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. That's pretty bold of the Pharisees, isn't it? Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Uh, Great. Talk about boldness. They ridiculed him. Well, he was ridiculing them, wasn't he? You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. I love verse 30. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. He is amazed that they don't get it. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. In other words, if this man was a sinner you say he is, he would not have answered his prayer and healed me. God listened to him. He must be from God. Therefore, verse 32, 
Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And here's their answer to him. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And you're trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Not just threw him out, but they kicked him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. Mom and dad were still in because they passed the buck. But he's out now. As I followed this man's story through this passage of Scripture, you can see, I can see, that he's growing in his faith and his understanding of who Jesus is. Can you see that? He's from, I don't know, I was blind, now I see. Uh, he's a prophet. You guys are crazy if you don't get it. You want to be his disciple too. He has come to that point where now he is a full-fledged understanding of what it means to walk with Christ. So here's a, a point of application for us here. The longer you walk with Jesus, the better you know him. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? But you need to write it down. The longer you have experience with Jesus Christ, the better you know him. Because the experience with Christ is as you get to, you get to experience his, who he is, the choir sang all those names of God. You come to know him by experience as he is those things in your life, as he is omnipotent, all-powerful, as he is comforter, as he, as he cares for you, as he's provider, as he is all of those things in your life. You come to know him by experience. The longer you walk with him, the better you know him. I became a Christian when I was uh, uh, about 18 years old. I didn't write it down, so I forgot the exact time when I finally settled it with Christ. So I've been walking with the Lord for a few years. I'm still learning stuff about him. Isn't that great? Isn't that incredible? I've been married to Kelly for 38 years, and I'm still learning stuff about her. We were talking last night about things that, that I've learned about her, and, I, and she, she gave me some dates, which I was a little bit embarrassed about. I said, honey, how long were we married before I discovered that, that for you, clean house means clean, and for me, it means clutter-free? She said, about 10 years. So I was married to her for 10 years. I would come home from work, come home from serving doing, at the church I served, and I'd say, what have you been doing all day? That's the guys, don't ask that question. Because I would look around the house and there'd be a blanket here and a toy here and some books over there and the toy box turned over the kids and stuff everywhere. She said, I've been cleaning the house. I, I'm seriously, y'all, seriously, I had no idea what in the world she was talking about. Finally, and I don't know, I'm sure she probably walked me to it and said, look, here, she was cleaning the toilets. She was scrubbing the floor. She was bleaching stuff. She was cleaning the house. I didn't see any of that stuff. So it took me 10 years to learn that about her. Now, fast forward. What did we say this one, hon? About 20 years, the sink? Y'all, this is, this is embarrassing. We had been married 20 years before I realized that the most important thing to her in a clean house is a clean sink, an empty, clean sink. Guys, did your wife ever leave town for a while and then come back and you've kind of let stuff go? Anybody else do that like me? Is anybody going to be honest? <laughs> so I found out no matter what, I, I want stuff uncluttered and I knew I got to get the sink emptied and clean. I get the sink emptied and clean and she's a happy camper. Took me 20 years to learn that. 
I have no idea what I'm going to be learning in the future. (laughs) But you know how you learn that stuff? You just stay in the relationship. You just stay in the relationship. That's how you get to know Jesus. Just walk with him. Number four, Jesus performs what I'm going to call the second miracle. The man receives spiritual sight. I believe it happened when he was healed. Some have said it happened as he walked through this process. As he said, he's a prophet, he's Messiah, but it's clearly stated here in verse 35. When when Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, he found him and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now remember, he's heard Jesus. He hasn't seen him yet till now. Jesus went and found him. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Verse 38, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. There's the the miracle. Say, you know what? I wish we could see some miracles like they did in the days of Jesus. Hello? Every time a person comes to Christ, that's a miracle. That is a transformation work of the Holy Spirit. When a person turns from death to life, from sin to obedience, from darkness to light, This powerful story culminates with the man saying, I believe. It's the greatest miracle. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, the greatest miracle is not the opening of his eyes, but the opening of his heart. If you're praying for God to open someone's heart, keep praying, because that's what he does. People have talked to me recently about friends and family members who need to know Christ, and they they want to get them to that point, and I I say, no, that's God's job. You be faithful, you serve him, you love him, you love the Lord, you love that, that loved one, that, that friend, family, relative, and you let God's Holy Spirit do the work because that's what he does. He opens hearts. Here's my application for us. Jesus wants to open spiritual eyes. He wants to open our spiritual eyes. The good news is it doesn't just happen when you trust Christ as Savior and you turn from darkness to light. It happens as you walk with him. Have you all experienced that? Those aha moments, it may be in your Bible, you've written it down, it may be in your journal, it may be that it's the moment that you go to, but where God has opened your eyes to a spiritual reality, you say, wow, give me some more of those, Lord. God wants us to be aware and sensitive. Number five, the Pharisees remain in spiritual blindness. Look at verse 39 with me. You didn't think I could do 41 verses, did you? I was doubtful myself. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who will not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? I don't know why they asked him that. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin, and now you say, we see your sin remains. Boy, there's a couple of inac- uh, difficult verses. Let me read you, one, I think it's one of the best paraphrases of this, all right? Here's what Jesus is saying. If you would only admit your blindness that you don't see, you would not be guilty of sin because I could forgive you. But because you claim your own self-righteousness, you remain unforgiven. That's what he's saying to them. If you Pharisees who think you can see, 
would only admit that you can't, I'd be able to open your eyes spiritually and open your hearts. But since you think you already see, there's no way I can open your heart because you're close to that. Spiritually blind. I think about folks who come to church week after week in our churches and they assess themselves that they're okay and they don't need anything else. They don't need to hear from the Lord and, and there's, there's blindness there. That the enemy has you convinced that just because you go to church, you're going to heaven. Jesus was clear in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not through going to church. It's not through having your name on the roll somewhere. It's not by being baptized. It's by trusting Christ as Savior. So here's the harsh reality of this application for all of us. To reject Jesus is to remain in spiritual darkness. To reject Jesus is to remain in spiritual darkness. You're blind and you don't see it. Read recently about a woman, 67-year-old lady who went to the eye doctor complaining about dryness in her eye and they started to do some work on her and, and found out that she didn't have cataracts. What she had in her eye was contact lenses that had been stuck there. Now, here's, I looked it up. We even went online last night because my family said, that can't be true. We looked it up, a CNN story. Over 35 years, apparently when she tried to get a contact out, she, could, she couldn't get it out. She thought she did. She thought maybe she dropped it. She just put a new one in. Those disposable deals. After 35 years, she had accumulated 27 contact lenses in this eye. Yeah, you want to gross out, go online and look at the picture of it. And here's what she had been doing all along, thinking, well, I really am having trouble, but I'll just fix it myself. I'll just put another contact lens in. And you just keep putting your own contact lens in, and pretty soon you're going to be blind, right? She was, the big blue mass in that eye. You cannot fix yourself. If you're spiritually blind, if you're without Christ, you can keep putting stuff in your life that you think is going to fix you. The only thing that's going to fix you is a person. His name is Jesus. If you haven't made that commitment, I pray that you would today. Let's pray together.